Good morning. My name is Alex. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, today I'm wrapping up this series called Unstuck, and uh, this is the eighth week uh, we've been talking about that. Now, sometimes it feels like, okay, can we just like move on? Especially when it's like, okay, we get it, we get it. But what's really interesting about life is no matter how much we talk about it, we still have to face the realities that we can keep getting stuck, we can stay stuck, we can stay inside of our head, uh, we can feel alone and isolated, and uh, we need really all the help that we can get. So today, I want to focus on recapping where we've been and then really looking forward, as you see the title, to how do we break free? Uh, how do we set up some things so that the things that maybe we have always experienced and are some reflexes that we have in place, how can we kind of get loose of some of those? So the idea of, of stuck um, could be a lot of different imagery, but one of the things is like being chained. I mean, you're, you're actually chained up stuck. You're incarcerated by your own thoughts or your own uh, feelings, and if you're stuck like that, if you're chained up, if you're bound up, if you just feel like you are seized, we really need to break free. And the good news is God provides that, and he grants that, and he gives us that as we really look to him for help. So hopefully today we'll kind of bring uh, everything uh, together. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to show a video, and this is probably the longest video I've ever shown here at Ridgeview Church. It's 10 minutes and 28 seconds you're thinking like, where's my popcorn, right? Um, this video is gonna highlight uh, some things that we've been talking about, and uh, it's put together by our network of churches, the 17.6 network, and the focus is, is how do we actually have a paradigm to work through some of this? So I'm gonna share that in just a moment. Hopefully that will be a help to you. But I wanna just recap some of the thoughts and some of the feelings that we've been talking about in this series, and we've spent one week on each of these. And so let's uh, look up here. And you'll see, here's the common thoughts that get us stuck and they keep us stuck. What I encourage you to do is look at that list and ask yourself the question, which is the one that I think about the most? Or maybe I don't even think about it, but which is the one that I think I struggle with the most? You don't have to share it, but identify that. And so it's too hard. That's where we started. We just face things in life and it just feels too hard and it's hard for us to move forward because it's too hard. Life feels overwhelming. The second, uh, I'm too tired. Any of you gotten here today and you feel worn out? Like you're even hoping like maybe Pastor Alex will talk really slow and long and you can get like a nap because you're that tired. But life, I heard an amen. I'm ignoring that this time. <laughs> amen means agree. Don't agree with that. Okay. But uh, when, when you're tired, it's very hard to be motivated. And that's a real struggle that gets us stuck, keeps us stuck. Uh, it's not what I want. Circumstances, life, all different things. Uh, it ends up providing ample opportunities for us to push through the things that we want and the disappointment when we don't get them. Disappointment is a very strong feeling. Disappointment oftentimes leads to discouragement. That can be very, very overwhelming. It's not fair. That feels like that's something that you leave in childhood, right? You leave on the playground of your youth. Have you talked to many adults recently? Have you listened to yourself sometimes when things don't go your way and you just are basically saying like, that's not fair. Why does this happen to them and not to me? Why does that work out? But it doesn't for me. And, and we can get stuck with that. I'm the only one. Again, all of these can lead to that feeling, 
Like, it's too hard for me. I'm too tired. Why does it seem like I'm the one that always has to face these things and everyone else just, their life seems so together. Why am I the only one? Gets us stuck, keeps us stuck. And then the last one, it, it's not worth it. Joel talked about this last week. When you're just unmotivated because life is hard and you feel like because you're tired, because it's not what you want, because life's not fair, you start to question just your very motivation to keep moving forward. This right here is absolutely normal. That's why we've been spending so much time in this series. There's a stigma in all facets of life where you think you need to appear like you have it all together. There's protection there, it feels like, right? Because if you have it all together, people will leave you alone. They're not gonna ask you questions. But the fact of the matter is most of us, all of us, don't have it together. Did you know that? And that's okay. We're insecure. We're messed up. There's all sorts of things that we regret. And these thoughts and these feelings plague us all. In any given week, I could just throw a dart and it land. I'm like, yeah, I've felt that. I've experienced that. These are real. But what sets apart the Christian life and following Jesus is not just identifying problems. Anyone can identify problems. People could tell you your problems. Sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it's not. But the key is not only identifying, but knowing what to do, knowing how to move forward, knowing how to just recognize this is where you are and how to proceed. So what I want to do now, and how many of you received a program? If you have that, go ahead and open that up. What I encourage you to do, there is a, a, a listening outline. We have this each week. It's paper. Remember that? You remember you want to write on paper? Some of you, like I forget how to write sometimes because of computers and cell phones, but uh, we go old school. Uh, sometimes if you write on paper, it actually helps you uh, remember. So one of the things is like, if you write on paper, what do you do with it, right? You throw it away. So it's like, what's the point? Well, you could write on this, and then you could take a picture, or you could scan it, and then you have it, or you could get like a little old school mini three-ring binder. You could put your listening outline every week, and then over the course of a year, you have all sorts of things that God could use to help you. So there's a blank on the front page. In fact, the whole front page is pretty much blank. Um, we're gonna watch the video that I mentioned, and I encourage you, take some notes on it, because in that 10 minutes, there is, I think, some helpful perspective for you. And I'm gonna revisit and recap the idea of how do you break free from what we call a three-point attack. Our thoughts and feelings are represented by that list that we just went through. Those are the thoughts, those are the feelings. But how do you break free from that? And how does the attack come when those thoughts and feelings? So hopefully this video will give you some insight, give you some help. Uh, because of the length, I'm actually gonna sit down and I'm gonna take some notes as well. So I encourage you to join me with that. And then when it's over, when it wraps up, I'm gonna come back up. So let's watch it together. Have you ever been scared? Scared to do what's right? Or afraid to move forward? Or too timid to even attempt to tackle the problem or situation in front of you? Maybe you have, most of us have. And in these moments, you were likely tempted to give up or to stall and delay progress. Or maybe you just felt like you didn't have the energy required to attempt it at all. In all of these situations, you don't make progress, you don't succeed, and that is exactly where our enemy, the devil, wants you. He wants you to give up without even putting up a fight. Thankfully, the Bible gives us clear guidelines for what to do in these moments. And they are found in three Hebrew words, in English, we might spell them Hazak, Ametz, and Shamar. The Old Testament of the Bible was written in Hebrew, and these words provide insight on how to navigate trouble successfully. 
In the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, Joshua is taking over leadership of the Israelite people from Moses. There are two major obstacles facing Joshua. First, Moses was an incredible leader, one we still make movies about today, and those were big leadership shoes to fill. Secondly, the Israelites were moving into the land God had promised them for decades, but the land was filled with huge cities, big men, and fearsome armies. Taking this land by force was not going to be easy. In Joshua 1, verses 7 through 9, God speaks to Joshua about his future. He says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God tells Joshua, if you are going to succeed in what you are about to do, if you are going to solve problems, if you are going to make progress with what is currently in front of you, you must do three things found in this passage. Hazak, be strong. Omatz, be courageous. Shamar, be careful to obey. These three words summarize how we can handle our responsibilities in life and push through challenges to succeed. The first word, hazak, is translated be strong. It means to exert strength, to get a firm grip, or to toughen yourself. God is telling us to keep a solid grip on our responsibilities and the things we need to do. As we face trouble and hardship, we cannot let go of our responsibilities or do them half-heartedly. If we don't maintain a firm grip on them, we make additional messes in the wake of our current challenges. We will multiply problems. The second word, amats, means to be courageous or to act with valor. We often think of courage and bravery as a feeling. But this Hebrew word commands bravery, whether or not we feel like it. It tells us to refuse to be timid and to move forward boldly with what's right, regardless of how we feel. Courage here is not a feeling, it's a choice. Fear is a powerful emotion and can stop forward progress. So if we approach our problems and situations emotionally, we will often fail at making progress in them. We must choose courage and move forward. And the third word, shamar, means to be careful to obey, to listen and completely follow. We are to give heed to the things we've been taught. That means we listen to what God says and obey exactly. Let's put this concept together. To succeed amid the problems in life, we need to get a firm grip on the responsibilities that God has given us, bravely push forward, and obey God's word exactly as we handle the challenges that come. The problem is, our enemy attacks us on these three points, our grip on our responsibilities, our courage, and our willingness to obey exactly. And he does it right in our thoughts and feelings. The attack often starts with our courage. Maybe we have been moving forward with our responsibilities. Then something doesn't go right. We get disappointed and we start to feel discouraged, contrary to our mats. This always happens to me. This is too hard. I can't do this. If we let our feelings go on, we begin to lose the energy and the will to move forward. We stall. The easiest moment to repel this three-point attack is here, when it first starts. When the discouraging thoughts and feelings arrive, ask God for help, then refuse to be discouraged. Choose Amats. Keep your courage. 
But if we tolerate the discouraging thoughts, then the next attack is on Hazak. We get thoughts like, why try so hard? It's not working. Why even do it at all? So we begin to loosen our grip on our responsibilities. I'm too tired. I can't do all this by myself. I'll handle that tomorrow. As we go slack-handed, problems start to multiply. The mess increases. We get weak in the knees and become haphazard in our responsibilities. We don't get things done. If you have started to let responsibilities slide, confess this sin and ask God for help. You might even make a to-do list to help you get moving again. Lastly, if your grip stays loose, then shamar, our willingness to obey, is attacked. You don't need to do it God's way. You will be fine. Do it the way you feel is right. Or don't be so concerned to do all that God says. You deserve a break. Have a bit of fun. And rebellion starts to seem so appealing. If you have started rebelling, ask God for help, confess your sin, and step back into obedience. When we tolerate the disabling thoughts and feelings, we will not make progress. We will not succeed. The darkness creeps in. We start to lose hope and give up. Verse 9 of this passage actually tells us two things we are feeling. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Afraid is translated from the Hebrew word orats, which means to cause to tremble, to be terrified. It has the image of going into quivering terror. Discouraged is from the word hothath, which means to be shattered, to panic. We are not to completely wig out and panic. When trouble shows up, do we run away frightened? We are likely tempted to if we forget to Hazak, Omatz, and Shamar. Instead, we need to firm up, steel ourselves, and get a tight grip on our responsibilities, Hazak. And despite how we feel, we take the brave step, trusting God, Omatz. As we move forward, we act completely in line with God's word, Shamar. Let's look at a real-world example to see how this could look in your own life. Perhaps you aren't going into a war like Joshua was, but the same three actions commanded to him apply in our daily lives as we approach conflict, hardship, and situations that seem difficult. Ryan wants to move forward in life and gain traction toward his goals. He works hard, handles his responsibilities, and tries to do what is right. Ryan is asked by his boss to lead an important project at work. This opportunity seems to be a good next step for Ryan's career, and he is excited to take this on. However, the project ends up being much larger than anticipated, and the stakes are high for the company, and Ryan's enthusiasm quickly fades. The stress is on, and his fear begins to build. This is when the attack begins. It starts in his thoughts and attacks his courage. This is too hard. I'm the only one working this hard. I'm not smart enough to do this. Then things start to go wrong with the project, and he feels like giving up. He sees a shortcut he can take to make his life easier, but he knows it would be wrong to take it. When Ryan gets home from work, he is struggling to take care of his responsibilities and wants to shut down. He really just wants everyone to leave him alone. Ryan has a choice to make. He is at a fork in the road. One way will lead to success, God's way, but this path is hard and seems daunting. The other will set him on a path for succumbing to the attack and giving our enemy victory. But giving up seems so easy. No matter which path Ryan decides to take, here's what God wants him to do. Hazak, steal himself. Understand that with God's help, he can handle this. This is a temporary hardship. It may require some late nights and hard work, but he will get through it. And God still expects him to handle his other work responsibilities and his family life well. He doesn't get a break from his other duties while he handles this. Amats, 
know that this will not take him down. It is not too hard. Even if this project doesn't end the way he wants it to, God does not waste our hardship. It can be used to grow and do better next time. He can take courage and move forward knowing he will not be ripped off by God. Shamar, continue to obey God exactly. Some shortcuts, like the one he's being tempted to take, are out of bounds from God's word and therefore sin. That kind of shortcut will lead to long-term problems. He has to move forward trusting God to take care of him as he faithfully obeys. Now, here's the big question. How can we do these things when we feel frozen with fear, when we feel afraid and discouraged? The end of verse 9 gives us our hope because God is going to be with us wherever we go. No matter how you feel, no matter how strong the attack, no matter how worthless it feels, no matter how discouraged the enemy is trying to make you feel, no matter how weak you feel, God will be with you. God is where our hope comes from. If you have decided to follow Christ, God is your Father. You are his child. And he is always with you, even in the most difficult situations. He has promised this. But he also expects us to hazak, omats, and shomar. We have to do it his way to make progress, to succeed. And if we do, just like he did with Joshua, God will lead us through our trouble for his glory and for our good. Was that helpful? I hope so. There were like numerous times in there I was like, oh, that's me. I just want to sit on that chair. It looks so comfortable. And I just want to check out. This, if it sounded like a voice familiar, that, that's our own Ben Montgomery narrating that. You're like, dude, I've like heard that voice before. Where's that? Yeah, he was just up here about 10 minutes ago. But I, I hope that's helpful. Uh, there, there's something visual, visually, excuse me, about seeing it like laid out. And, and so you repel that. Th- those three things, the Hazak, the Amats, and the Shamar, are how you, with God's help, defeat uh, the lies that we sometimes believe. It's how we defeat the thoughts and the feelings of not being able to make progress. And it's real. We don't talk about it a lot, but this is, this is real life. And uh, God wants to, to help us. Some things that kind of came for me, just taking notes, was you have to repel the attack when it first comes. I don't know if you picked up on that. I don't know how many times in my life I have a thought that leads to another thought, and it's like discouraging. And then I create a scenario of, well, if that happens, then this will happen, and then that sends me further into discouragement. Before I know it, I've had a 10-minute conversation with myself about something that's not happened, but I'm totally freaked out about. Anyone relate? Yeah, we spin our wheels with that. But to repel the attack, you actually have to identify, that's a discouraging thought. It's not true. That's a feeling I have that, that doesn't make sense. And if you stop it when it comes, you actually don't lose as much ground. So that was like a takeaway for me. Usually, it get, we get attacked first um, on our, our courage. What's the opposite of courage is discouraged. So how many times in your life and my life do we get discouraged and don't realize that, that is actually an attack Discouragement is real. 
Discouragement really takes the wind out of your sails. It really prevents you from moving forward. And we can just kind of mull in our discouragement and feel down in our discouragement and just get more discouraged because we're discouraged about something we're discouraged about. It's just like overwhelming. But oftentimes it's because discouragement has set in and we haven't realized it. So I wanna encourage you, if you tend to be discouraged about things, you may have been that your whole life. Like I just kind of, yeah, I'm down. I get depressed. I get discouraged. It doesn't mean the things in your life aren't difficult. It doesn't mean you write it off, but it does mean those feelings you have are very real and you have to be really careful because they can really lead you in the wrong direction. And so what I wanna do for the rest of our time is just give some tools uh, on how we can actually move forward in that strength and in that courage and in that carefulness. And it's this, it's, it's not just breaking free, but we can fight the enemy lies as we say, pray, and obey. Can you guys say that? Say, pray, obey. Sometimes for me, what I need is a helpful reminder in the moment of struggle, in the moment of discouragement, despair, disappointment, where I can just say, recognize that that's on, recognize those feelings are happening, recognize all the stuff that's swirling in my head, recognizing how down I feel, whatever it is, I just need tools. And so I encourage you to kind of keep that in mind. Say, pray, and obey. And I just want to briefly walk through what it is. You'll see it up on the screen. You can take notes. So uh, say the struggle, what it is that I'm, I'm struggling with. Sometimes you just have to recognize that you are struggling with something you have to be able to identify that thought. Like, I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm, I'm actually bitter at this person. I'm frustrated with my situation. I'm angry at God. I'm disappointed by my circumstances. I'm discouraged by my lack of progress. The struggles we all think and we all feel, but oftentimes we don't identify what's going on. So when you say the struggle, you can recognize that there's a battle that's happening. So you say the struggle, just what you're struggling with. So, man, I, I think I'm discouraged. You know what? I think I'm, I'm angry at that person. Say the struggle. So that's the first part of say. Now, say is two parts. It's really say, say, pray, obey, but that doesn't sound as good as say, pray, obey. But it's say, say. You got to say the struggle, but you can't stay there. What's the next thing? You actually have to say the truth. That's the next point. Say the truth, a scripture or biblical truth I need to remember in this situation. So when you identify the struggle that you have, you can't just focus on the struggle. If you focus on the struggle, what happens to the struggle? It gets bigger. You magnify it. The more you focus on it, the bigger it gets. So what you need is to say the struggle, it's real, there's something going on, but then you need to say the truth. As you say the truth, the struggle gets smaller doesn't mean it's non-existent, but it means that in light of the struggle, if you have the truth, you can see it more accurately. Have you ever had that thought, like, I'm the only one? And that's a real feeling. You feel like you're being picked on. Are you, though, really the only one that's ever dealt with that? No. doesn't mean that that's not real, but I'm the only one is so extreme that's actually probably not completely true. Now, I'm too tired. Now, there's times you're like, that is absolutely true. I am so tired. All those young parents with young kids out there, right? But you're probably got enough energy to do some things. 
but not often the things that you don't want to do. So you have to say the struggle in light of the truth. And then the pray. So say the struggle, say the truth, and then pray. Ask God to help me obey him in this. So what I tend to do in my life is I mull on my problems. I'm weighed and burdened down by what I see happening or what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking that I forget to let God into the situation. And I had to really kind of retrain my understanding of what prayer is. Prayer, in so many ways, is the burden that you have, that you're carrying, that you're bearing, and giving it to God, and you're asking him for help. That's what prayer is. It becomes so much more real than like, okay, God, I'm supposed to say these fancy words, and I'm supposed to say it at a certain cadence with only words that I only use when I pray to you, and it becomes so formal. But what it needs to be is, God, I'm freaking out over this situation. Will you help me? And you're inviting him in to take the burden that you're holding by yourself, and he lifts it for you, and he helps you. And that's really what prayer is, recognizing the struggle, telling yourself the truth, and then asking God for help. Say, pray, and the last one is obey. You want to obey God and do what the scripture says to do. Say, pray, and obey. Now notice, oftentimes, if this struggle is really real and you've said the truth and you've prayed about it, it doesn't mean that when it comes to obey, you're not still struggling. I think that's one of the greatest myths of life. And that is, I have to feel it before I do it. And that's our whole category for love, right? You fall in it, you feel it. If your love is only based on if you feel like it, most of your relationships are gonna be very shallow because I don't feel like a lot of things. Love is not often something I feel. It's not like a romantic movie. It's a choice. And it's the same with obedience. You have to choose before the feelings come, and that's obedience. And then oftentimes, once you've obeyed, guess what happens? You feel like it. So you don't feel it before you do it. Oftentimes you do it, and then you what? You feel it. It makes sense. God comes through. And that like fleeting feeling that you're wanting, like of happiness or just peace in that moment, you actually get something that lasts. Because you're obeying God, and he helps you. And this brings us to the reality of why say, pray, and obey is so important. It's this. God is with us wherever we go. If you don't believe that, and you may be checking out Christianity, you may be new to following Christ, this is a very bold statement. But the God of the Bible, Christ, who died for our sins and rose again, he did that so sin and the struggles and the lies could actually be overcome. We don't have to be overcome by lies. We can overcome them by Christ's help. And the reality of what God did through Christ to pay the penalty for our sin, for our struggles, for the discouragement, for the depression, for everything that we face, for our anxiety, for our fears, we have the recognition and the understanding that he will actually be with us wherever we go and whatever we face and whatever we do. This is the hope that we have in this life. And the beautiful thing about Christ, as we enter in this relationship, it's a relationship that actually goes on forever. Eternity. 
We're not even living for here now. So even as the struggles are big and heavy and burdensome, we know that it might not all work out in this life, but in forever, in eternity, it's all going to work out. And those burdens will be forever lifted. But in this life, we have this promise. He's gonna be with us as we keep a strong grip, as we move forward in courage, as we're careful uh, to obey. What I wanna do for the rest is just talk about how this can become real in what we face. And I wanna talk through some habits that will give you some fuel to say, pray, and obey in your own life. I don't know about you, but sometimes I face something that's a real struggle, and I'm surprised by how much I struggled by something I keep struggling with. It's like, oh, here I am again. I'm totally discouraged. I'm totally defeated. I could look back at my life. I did that 20 years ago, and I'm still doing it today. You ever felt like that? Like, I can't move forward. Well, sometimes it's because we don't have habits that help fuel the battle. In fact, sometimes we don't even know how to fight. We just keep being defeated, and we keep being defeated. And we want to believe that God is with us wherever we go, but we don't experience it. So I want to talk through some things that will help you experience the reality that God is actually with you. And that is true, no matter what you do, no matter what I do. But there are some habits that allow his presence, that allow his power to get into your life, that if you don't do them, you don't experience. And that's what it means to walk with God. As I walk in my life, as I live my life, there's certain things I can do that allow God and I to have this, this partnership in life. It's real, day-to-day -day life. Okay, so let's walk through it. Here's the first habit. Reading the Bible regularly. Uh, this is something that you can't get around uh, if you wanna make progress, especially to overcome anxiety, if you wanna overcome fear, if you wanna overcome shame in your life. You cannot do it by just thinking better thoughts. You can't do it by just pursuing entertainment or success. You can't overcome it by even talking to a professional counselor, a therapist, a psychiatrist. You actually need truth that is only revealed, that means given through his word. What that means is there's truth that exists in God's word that doesn't exist anywhere else. And you can't find it anywhere else. It's revealed. God told us and therefore it is true and it is real. So when you read God's word, it gives you a treasure of truth that you now have that can't be found anywhere else on the face of the planet. Check out what Psalm 119 says about God's word. Verse 24, it says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. This past week, I was reading through Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's almost like its own book. Psalm 119 talks about, really, the vitality and importance of God's word. If you're new to reading God's word, Psalm 119 is a great place to start. You learn like, oh, wow, there's, there's some real treasure here. There's people that are giving like this marketing promo of why God's word is important. It's like a commercial on the Bible found in Psalm 119. So if you've never read it, I encourage you. But as I was reading this, your testimonies are my delight. Delight was the first word that stuck out to me. I was thinking through like what delights me. You think to yourself, what? What gives you delight? Delight like, whew, that's awesome. Joy, just a sense of like, this is great. What, what gives you that? Here's some things 
I'm just letting you into my own life a little bit. Here's what brings me delight. In the summer, when it cools down at night, and I've opened my windows, and my house is now in the 60s. Some of you guys are like, that's kind of lame. You know what? I'm in my 40s. There's, there's just things that give me delight that's different than when I was in my 20s, okay? Leave me alone. Second thing, time with family where we're all together and we enjoy each other. Just brings delight. Wow, we like, like each other. That brings delight when you're a parent. A good piece of steak. That's real. That brings delight. Ribeye. I'll give you the cut. Sleeping in. You with me now? Come on, guys. You guys are acting like you're... No, I just... Just going to church. That's all that gives me delight. <laughs> now, you, you guys got some other stuff. Come on. But what's interesting about that, and I probably speak for all of us, is oftentimes we don't see like, you know what? I just want to read God's word. That would give me delight. Oftentimes, it's the opposite. We think it's, it's boring. We think it's confusing. Uh, we think it's uh, maybe outdated. Maybe it's not relevant. And it's not appealing. So sometimes you read that and you're like, how would somebody get to a point where God's word delights them, like brightens their day? Well, I think it's found in the second part. They are my what? Counselors. If you want to experience delight in God's word, this is the obey part of the say, pray, and obey. If you put God's word into practice and it helped you make a decision from choosing something that is good to something that is bad and you make the good choice and it blesses you and it blesses your family and it was the right decision, you've now received counsel from God's word and it saved you heartache, it saved you pain. Saving pain, making progress, that brings delight. So the way that you experience the light in God's word is you put it into practice. You say, God, I'm gonna do what you say. I don't know if that's right. Like, I don't know if it's really gonna work out. I hope it does. But you're taking him at his word in faith. You can experience that delight. It's counseled you and you've made a different choice. You've made a different decision. You've taken a different path. That can only happen as you read God's word. You have to get it into, into your life. You have to choose regularly. Some of you, you, you have that discipline. You get into God's word every day. Some of you, you, you try to every day, and it's maybe every other day. Some of you is like, I haven't read it much. Wherever you are, you just make a decision. Just start. Just choose to do it tomorrow and start there. Allow God's word to give you counsel, give you insight. So that's the first habit. That fuels how you can fight the lies, God's truth. When you say the truth, the only way you can say it is if you know it, right? That leads us to the second, second habit, memorizing God's word. So it's reading the Bible regularly, but then memorizing it so that you can actually draw from it. Have you ever found yourself saying like, you need to remember a truth? And you're like, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who helps themselves? Actually, it doesn't say that. But isn't it like, is, doesn't God say like, he'll be with me? And you're, you're just kind of like, just grasping. That happens to me. Like, doesn't God's word, you know, sometimes it's just, I need truth in the moment, but I just don't have it. 
So when you memorize God's word, you actually are bringing it into your life so you can store it. And as you store it, you can recall it. And that's the best way to say the truth is to have it in your heart. Psalm 119, all the scriptures are from Psalm 119 today. It says, how can a man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Check out verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You hide God's word in your heart as you memorize it. How many of you think the concept of memorizing scripture is just like, that is so overwhelming, right? It's like you stopped memorizing chemistry when you were in high school. It's like, why would you memorize? Well, what's different about scripture as it is to any academic pursuit is most of the time in school, we're trained to memorize data for a test, and then as soon as you take the test, you no longer remember it, right? I was good at that. Cramming, put it down on the paper, turn the test in, yes! 15 minutes later, do you remember anything about it? I have no idea. But memorizing is like, it's, it's getting into my heart. I'm, I'm chewing on it. That's what memorizing is and meditating. It's just like you're chewing on it. It doesn't mean you haven't memorized the first time you do it, but it means maybe you write it down on a little flashcard. You write it on your phone, on a note. You write it on a piece of paper, and you just look at it, and you begin to chew on each piece. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 is actually a great scripture. It's where you could start. Start with verse 9. Then as you get that, and you know Psalm 119, 9 says this, then you go to verse 10. And then you go to verse 11, you put them all together. But knowing the truth, getting into God's word regularly, gives you now some new counsel for your life. Very important. And as you memorize it, you now can take that specific advice in a specific moment and apply it. You guys with me? So read God's word regularly, memorize. The third is turning to God in prayer. So for me, again, one of the best things I can do in my own prayer life is take God for what he said, his commands, his truth, and pray that truth back to him. So I'll just give you some examples of how this works in my own life. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So what that means is a lamp and a light brings like illumination. The idea is like when you need direction and you get stuck. How many of you have ever or are feel stuck, like you don't know what to do. You have a decision to make, and you just don't know what to do. And it feels overwhelming. And you feel like, if I make this decision, it could all go well, but if I make a different decision, I could screw up my life. You ever feel like that? And then you just don't make a decision because the odds, I have a gnat right here that's about to like go in my mouth. <laughs> just wanted to, you said like, oh, Pastor Alex is feeling it. Like, no, it's, get out of here. All right. In the name of Jesus, <laughs> say, pray, obey. Okay. Um, but your, your, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So when I feel stuck, when I feel confused, your word says that it will actually illuminate the, the way to go. So God, I feel so stuck here. I am confused. But God, your word says that it will give me a lamp. You, you're gonna give me a light to my path so I can walk forward. God, will your word help me? And what you begin to do is you read his word and you ask God, can you give me a word, God, to help me right now? I need a, I need a promise, I need a command. And as you get into God's word, it will illuminate your path. 
So you, you pray that. Um, anyone struggle with, with anxiety? That's like the worst question to ask an anxious person. The bottom line is we all do. We all struggle with it. When I'm anxious or fearful, when I'm alone, when I'm distraught, Psalm 119, 114 says this, you are my hiding place and my shield, I hope in your word. Hiding place is protection. It's literally a covering. God will protect you. He will cover you from the struggles that you are facing. Doesn't mean that they're gonna go away, but it does mean that they will not take you out if you ask him for help. So God, I'm overwhelmed. I'm full of fear from some decisions I have to make. I'm full of fear from just what I'm facing, this unknown. I don't know what to do, but your word says that it's my, I can experience protection. You're my, you're my hiding place. You're my shield. You will protect me. So God, will you, will you protect me right now? I'm very anxious. I feel very alone. God, will you help me to find hope in your word? God, will your word give me hope right now? I pray that in the name of Jesus. So you take God's word and you pray it back, back to him. Why? Because those are promises. And you can pray those promises because God has given you them. And he wants to help you. Why? Because he's with you again wherever that you go, wherever you go. So think about the comparison of praying these. Like if you're stuck and you don't know what to do in a situation, compare that to just doing it on your own. So when I'm stuck, here's usually what I do. I, I begin to ask questions like, well, what if I'm wrong? What if I mess up? What if I make a mistake? Deciding on something, then changing my mind, then deciding on something different, and then just getting to the point where this is too hard to make a decision. That's usually what it is for me if I'm not praying and asking God for help. I'm doing it on my own. If you experience anxiety and fear and you're overwhelmed by that, if you do it on your own, usually uh, you begin to have thoughts like, it's no use, I'm not understood, no one understands what I'm going for, or going through, this will never get better, and I'm the only one. So compare that to taking God's word and saying, you have promised this, and I hope in that. So that's two, regularly get time in God's word, memorize it, pray it back to God. All three of those are important habits. And then the last one is this. Regularly spending time with God's people. You have to get around people. Now, here's where it all comes together. There are things that you are experiencing that even as you pray and even as you obey and even as you read God's word, there are some times where you just need somebody outside of yourself to help you. Did you know that? Guess what? That's the whole reason the church exists. If we didn't need that, then what's the point of gathering together? The big part of it is because we need encouragement, which is this idea of encouragement to move forward with, with sometimes like an edge of correction. Like, you know what? You, you keep saying this about yourself. That's not true. You ever had somebody tell you that you're saying something that's not true? You're like, well, and then they tell you, no, I don't, I don't think that's true of you. I don't think that's true of your situation. There has to be trust there, right? But there's times where people can say stuff to you and it's absolutely right and God is using them to help you. But sometimes we're just so stuck in our own life, our own head, that we need God's people to help us. That's why we exist as a church. Check out the scriptures in Psalm 119. Here's a description. 
This is really helpful. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. The idea is when you get around God's people and they're all doing the right thing, it pulls you in that direction. The opposite is true. You're trying to do the right thing, but you get around a bunch of people who are not doing the right thing and going in their own direction, it pulls you as well. So joyful, that's the kind of people we want to be, are full of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Verse two, joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. The point is, this is hard. What I'm facing is hard. I feel confused. I'm overrun with anxiety, but I come and I'm with God's people who are experiencing the same things. But you know what? They're moving forward. They're trusting God. They're doing the right thing, even when it hurts, even when it's unknown. And you know what that does? That encourages you. Because if you see people that are facing hard things but choosing to trust God, that gives you courage. That strengthens your amats. And then when you see people that are being faithful and they're not being recognized, especially in the church, and they're serving, and they have so much on their plate, they have a job that's so demanding, they have a growing family, and they serve, that gives you strength, your hazak. God's people is the picture of God's work in the world. And he uses that so many times to encourage us. So this is really a prayer. We want to be these type of people, filled with joy, doing the right thing, obeying God. And so all of these need to work. Now, some of these need to be in your own life outside of a Sunday, spending time in the Word, memorizing it, praying. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody. You have to build in that discipline for yourself. But don't beat yourself up like, I can't do disciplines. That's part of the problem. That's why I'm stuck. And then you hear guys say, you gotta be disciplined. I'm not disciplined. Just recognize, okay, I have a thought. I'm not disciplined. You may have already thought that. as I think, I can't memorize God's word. You may have already thought that. Reject that thought. Yes, you can. Why? Because God's word says, hide his word in your heart so you can do it. So sometimes you just have to realize like, man, I have all these thoughts without even realizing it. And they're defeating. And then as you work on those disciplines, you come together with God's people and we move forward together. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. Of course we do. That's why we need each other. That's why we need his word. That's why we need to pray. It actually makes the struggle worthwhile because we're not alone. God is with us and is God's, his people help us. Does this make sense? That's how you break free. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's like just... Give me a magic pill and I'll break free. It doesn't work like that because it's faith. God, I trust when I do things your way over time, uh, you, you will help me. It's not pretty, it's not flashy, but it is the way that you break free. It's taking God's ways, getting them into your life and then doing them. And as you do that, you can overcome your fear. You can overcome your anxiety. You can overcome your confusion. And then God becomes real. And all of us can experience that. And as we experience it as individuals, we come together as a church, there's a mighty movement that God does because you have a bunch of people who've seen God come through. And they're not only knowing that he's with us wherever we go, we've experienced he's with us wherever we go. And there's great power there. So as I close out and invite the band back up, I wanna just walk through some, some next steps. In your, in your handout, uh, open that up again. There's a sheet in there that has like a little chart. You guys see that? Open it up. There's a little chart. 
You see it? Go ahead and hold it up, somebody. Yep, it's a chart. That's a reference point for you. It's say, pray, and obey. That chart has the truth that you can pray back to God. It has the the truth that you can focus on, that you can memorize even. You can memorize each one of those, but identify the struggle that's with you. And then figure out the blank part is only what you can fill in. Figure out with what you're facing, what does God want you to do? And ask him that. What does God want you to do in that area? And so use this. That's the first next step. Work through the say, pray, obey handout and pick an area to focus on this this next week. So if you're feeling like you're swirling with a lie, you're swirling with a thought that's not helpful, pick that one first. Focus on the truth. And then ask God again, what is it that he wants me to do? And then next week, I'm launching a new series as we've wrapped up this one called Rooted. I think we have an image for that. And the tagline for this series is Dig Deeper, Stand Stronger. I want to encourage you to come back next week. I'm actually going to be walking through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And we're going to go all the way through this book and ask God to show us how do we become rooted people that face all sorts of struggles, but that can still dig deep and stand strong. So tomorrow or next week, we're going to launch that. I encourage you to come back, invite some friends. There are so many people that are feeling just thrown around by life. Even for us as God's people, we can feel like that. But God has given us a different type of life, one that we can actually put our roots down and be secure. And so I encourage you uh, to come back for that. I think it's going to be a great time for us as a church as we just ask God to give us his truth to help us become rooted people. So I'm going to pray. We're going to receive our offering in a moment. Cameron's going to walk through that. And then uh, if I've not met you, I'll be by the next step table. I'd love to meet you after the service. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the help that you bring. You truly are with us wherever we go. You help us. You do what we can't do. And so will you just help us to identify uh, the struggles that we're having and to bring you in to that struggle, to identify we need help, to reach out, to ask for help, even from somebody here. God, I, I pray for those overwhelmed with the anxiety, overwhelmed with fear, with confusion. I just pray against that in the name of Jesus. I ask for your word to give counsel, your people to give encouragement. And God, we ask that you'll do a work here in our church that as we say, pray, and obey together, you'll really help us to break free from sin, to break free from discouragement, disappointment, and to choose faith in each facet of our life. We pray this, we ask for your help in this. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray, amen.